0: The, uh, we're in the book of Psalms as we go through the whole Bible. Uh, the Psalms, this was the, the song book for the Jews. Uh, it was out of this book that they got the songs that they would uh, sing in the temple. It was out of this book that they got the songs that they would sing as they would be making their journey to Jerusalem. That when we get toward the end of the, of the book, We'll have a section of psalms that are called the Psalms of Ascent, and as they would be climbing up the hill to get to Jerusalem, they would be singing those psalms. And uh, there, um, I don't know whether I, I'm sure that, that there were some that they didn't sing very often, just like in our songbook, there's some we don't sing very often, and that there are others that were just very very familiar. We're going to cover several this morning that. Are just very familiar. In fact, one that I think is probably the best known psalm worldwide. Um, let's start with, then with. Um, see if okay. Uh, psalm 20. Um, prayer for the King as He Goes to Battle. Um, i 'll just notice verse seven, some boast in chariots and some in horses, but we'll boast in the name of the Lord our god that 's the attitude that the people and the king have to have if God is going to give them the victory. so then we go to the next psalm, and it 's a song of victory after the battle <laughs> now i 'm not i 'm not convinced that Psalm 21 was written just a couple of days after Psalm 20. Um, but they obviously were put together. The editor who put the psalm book together uh, obviously uh, recognized the two really do go together since you've got the one psalm praise for victory and the next psalm um, praises God for the victory. Uh, and look at look at verse two, Psalm 21, verse 2. You have given him his heart's desire, and you have not withheld the request of his lips. Now go back to Psalm 20 and look in verse 4. When before the battle, may He grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your counsel. So they prayed that God would grant him the desire, and then in Psalm 21, they're praising God that He did grant them that uh, He did grant them that desire. So He won the victory, <coughs> and they know why it was because of God, <coughs> and so. they have that psalm of praise. Now we come to a very well-known psalm. Psalm 22. Um, It begins with a phrase that of course we're familiar with from the New Testament. My God, my God, why have You forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. The first phrase, where have we heard that? Jesus. Jesus. Jesus said that on the cross. It was one of the. He had only seven statements on the cross, and this was one of those seven. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as a result, this psalm has um, it, it just takes on a totally new meaning for people once they see that Jesus applied it to himself. You read the psalm with Jesus in mind. I, I'm not convinced that the psalm was originally written solely with Jesus in mind. I, have, I, I rather think that David wrote it about himself. That when David said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was thinking about himself. But God, the Holy Spirit who inspired him, designed these words not only to describe his situation, but to describe what the Son of David would go through, which is Jesus. And when you read this with Jesus in mind, you just see... Phrase after phrase that applies so well to the last hours of Jesus' life and then even to the resurrection. Um, For example, look in verse 7. All who see Me sneer at Me. They separate with the lip. They wag the head saying, commit yourself to the Lord. Let Him deliver Him. Let Him rescue Him because He delights in Him. What does that remind you of in the New Testament? Yeah. The, the, the leaders of the Jews were, were making fun of Jesus on the cross. said, Oh, well, you know, he thinks so much of God. Huh, God must, must surely like you. He just leave you there, doesn't he? And that, that's basically what they were saying. Um, and this was, you know, David was, was describing that in, in language that sounds so much like what they were saying. And then jump down to verse 15. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws and you lay me in the dust of death. And of course, remember Jesus saying, I thirst. It's near the very end. And then verse 17, I can count all my bones. They look, they stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And you remember how the soldiers did that. They divided his clothing up and then the one, there was one garment left over and they gambled for that, casting lots. Um. Then in verse twenty-two, I will tell of your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. This is a prediction of his rescue. After God rescues him, he's going to tell his name to his brethren. And of course, this now means Jesus is telling it to us. We are his brethren. All right. Any other questions on that one? 23rd Psalm, most famous psalm of all. The Lord is my shepherd. Um, now this one I don't think was written to be a messianic psalm. Now the word, when I say the word messianic, what I mean is that it's a psalm that refers to the Messiah, the Christ, whom of course we know of as Jesus. Uh, the 23rd Psalm is not directly a messianic psalm. And yet, when we read it, To us, the Lord is Jesus. He is the Good Shepherd. Um, When David wrote this, of course, he was thinking uh, of Jehovah as being the Good Shepherd, and that and the word "Lord" in all caps means Jehovah. But Jesus is is the Lord who is our Good Shepherd. Um, So much has been written about this Psalm over the years. I mean, entire books have been written. (coughs) Years ago, um, Troy Adams preached at (coughs) least one sermon. I think he preached more than one. Uh, on this psalm that he that he got from a book called A Shepherd, looks at the twenty-third psalm, and he, he it was a it was a book written in modern times, but it was by a a man who had done shepherding in the old-fashioned way, and so he he was related to the psalm from the standpoint of uh, how a, a sh- how a shepherd takes care of their sheep, which of course would have been the way David related to it, since he had been a shepherd in his younger days. And and so he was comparing how, just as he had taken care of his sheep, so God was taking care of His sheep, and David was one of those sheep, and 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 God took care of him. Um, I have a a movie. In fact, um, Jerry's got it right now. But um, it's it's a um, it's the twenty third Psalm for people with cancer. Although I mean I don't have cancer, but I found it a, a really moving video even without that. Um, it's, there's just so many different angles that people can take on, on this 23rd Psalm. And it is, it's just so comforting if we, if we could just learn to view God as our shepherd. and the, All the things that happen in our lives, whether good or bad, and especially the bad, are really our shepherd knowing what's really best for us even though we don't and, and taking care of us. And so he closes out. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When did David write 23rd? Psalm. 20, yeah. We don't know when when most of these psalms are written. I mean all, you notice some of the Psalms have headings telling when it when it was written. This one doesn't. So there's no knowing. <laughs> um, yeah. Other questions. Now that I answered that one so well. <laughs> um. Alright, we're back to another messianic psalm, the King of the world of those who dwell in it. And then he goes up to verse seven. Well, I'm going to jump to verse seven lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in king is coming into Zion, which is another name for Jerusalem. And and we see this as predicting the king being Jesus coming into Zion, which is the spiritual kingdom. And uh, Alright, then we go to Psalm 25. Prayer for help against enemies and also for forgiveness. Which is a little unusual um, to combine those two. Um, Let me start reading in verse 2. O my God, in You I trust, do not let me be ashamed. Do not not let my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none of those who wait for You will be ashamed. Those who deal treacherously without cause will be ashamed. Uh, I, I want to explain... The use of the word "ashamed" in in the Book of Psalms, because I, I think w- the way we usually use the word in our modern language, w- we would misunderstand what is being said. Uh, you know, with our modern term, the way what we usually think of, you know, I don't, you know, God, God, help me not to be ashamed. What we're thinking of is, you know, if, if someone speaks up, and I'm, and it's time for me to speak up. Let me not be ashamed of God. Let let me stand stand up for Him and and not shrink back in in shame. And I'm sure David would have agreed that that was was important, but that's not what he's talking about in these verses, nor is it what he's talking about any time else in the book of Psalms when he uses the word ashamed. What he means about ashamed, he says, "Oh, Oh my God, in You I trust. What he's doing, he is publicly telling everybody, I trust in God. God's going to take care of me. And you know how in many of the Psalms, there are enemies who will say, I don't think so this time, David. I don't, I don't think God's going to get you out of this mess. And David is saying to God, God, don't let me be embarrassed. I've publicly claimed that You're going to take care of me. If You let me down, I'm going to really be ashamed because I trusted in You and everyone knows I trusted in you and I'm going to look like a fool. Please don't let that happen. And that's what, that's what he means when he says, do not let me be ashamed. So he says in verse 3, let those who deal treacherously without cause will be ashamed. They've put their, their trust in something else. Their trust is in money, their trust is in their power, fame, You know, you name it, whatever the world trusts in. And they deal treacherously. They're dealing treacherously with David. I mean, he had a constant problem with these people stabbing him in the back. But they have their own, they have their own things they trusted. And David says, "Let them be ashamed. Let the time come when those things will let them down, and it'll be obvious to everybody they trusted in the wrong thing." That's what he means by that when he uses this word uh, "ashamed" here. David trusted in God. He doesn't want God to let him down. Um, the um, The thing that I find interesting about this psalm, even though he's praying for help from from against his enemies, is in verse eleven: "For Your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great." And he, it, it's it's. Unusual that he would combine those two. A prayer for deliverance from enemies with a prayer for forgiveness. But he does. And he, he sees that um, before God is going to deliver him from his enemies, he needs God to, to forgive him of his sins. and He's got to get that dealt with. We'll have some later psalms that deal much more directly with, with the sin issue. But he does mention it in this one. Um, I don't know what the iniquity was he was asking about. Um, uh, I can't. I, I'm sorry. I can't help. <laughs> I'm sure that wasn't his only sin that he ever needed to get forgiven uh, for. Um, Alright, so here in Psalm 26, um, this Psalm compares, you could, it's very interesting to compare this Psalm with the first Psalm. You remember how the book of Psalms starts? Let's just go back to Psalm 1. We did this one last week. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, and so on and so forth, and then in verse 4, the wicked are not like that. And notice what he says in Psalm 26 and how it relates. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Examine me, O Lord, and try me. Test my mind and my heart. For Your loving kindness is before My eyes and I have walked in Your truth. I do not sit with deceitful men, nor will I go with pretenders. I hate the assembly of evildoers and I not sit with the wicked." And so on and so forth. He's, he's really going through the list that you find in Psalm 1. And He's basically saying, Lord, I'm doing this. <laughs> Please take care of Me. I, look at the promise in Psalm 1. This is the way I'm living. And, and so it's, as we said, this protestation of innocence by a sincere worshiper of God. 27, a prayer of trust in God. Um, just to glance at a few verses. Verse 4, One thing I have asked from the Lord that I, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. Isn't that great? <laughs> He's not just trusting in God to do something for him. He, he longs for God Himself. He just as as I've mentioned in my recent sermons, he delights in God. Uh, verse eight When you said, Seek my face, my heart said to you, Your face, O Lord, I shall seek. That's great. And then verse thirteen I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. So this this the psalmist here, David, is is he just longs for God. He trusts in him. Psalm twenty-eight, another prayer for help against enemies. I'm just going to skip over that. It's nothing particularly unusual or new in it. Um, Psalm twenty-nine, the voice of the Lord in the storm. Now, this is an interesting one. It is different from uh, most of the other um, psalms. It, it just it, this. Tell me, tell me what this reminds you of when. When you read in verse 3, the voice of the Lord is over the waters, the God of glory thunders, the Lord is over many waters, the voice of the Lord is powerful, the voice of the Lord is majestic, the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. And What does that remind you of that we've covered recently? Job. Yeah, those last chapters of Job when Elihu was describing God coming in the form of a storm. Uh, this sounds a lot like that. There's one thing that this psalm is unique about, and that is how many times the name of the Lord is found. Again, we're talking about Lord, all uppercase, L-O-R-D, all caps. Um, The the word is found 18 times in this psalm, and that's a record. No other psalm has the the name Lord that many times in it. Alright, Psalm 30 praise for deliverance from death. Um, verse 5, But his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. You can see that David's been through some really difficult times here. Um, just, um, now why does he say, anger... I mean, he's describing the situation went through that God was angry with him. Isn't that what it must be? But he's saying it's just for a moment. Um, his favor is for a lifetime. Well, we find out why God was angry in verse 6. He says, now as for me, I said to my prosperity, I will never be moved. Anyone's any problem with that? Well, he's trusting himself in himself, certainly, in whatever he has of his own resources. Yeah. Um, have you ever gotten in that situation yourself? <laughs> Who has it? You know? I mean, when things are going well, and I know they're not always going well, but sometimes they are. When things are going well, just, you know, everything just fits in place, and you just feel like this is the way it ought to be. You know, this is the way it always will be. I'll never be moved. Or if you've done something that you're particularly proud of, you're pleased with how you've done I can handle these things. Well, the, the problem with this is the object of trust. When the trust is in myself and my own resources, who does that leave out? That leaves God out. And God will not allow His people to leave Him out. Because that's the worst thing in the world for any of us. I mean, in a time like that, we feel so good. I mean, oh, this is so wonderful. You know? we, we just got a new job. We just got a raise. You know, we, 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 everything's good. The boss said he, he, he just so relies on us, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But when we start trusting in ourselves, we're not fulfilling what God created us for. God created us to trust in Him. And and so God, in His anger, dealt with David and and brought him close to death, apparently. And he called to, to God and God rescued him. And now he praises God and he understands that what the direction he was going was wrong and he's glad that God rescued him from it. Ken, mm-hmm. you think that... Well, you probably don't know about... <laughs> you figured out what my answer is going to be. Go ahead. I saw that when David was... Trusted himself in number of the people: Well, that is one example of, of when he did that. Uh, it certainly illustrates um, his attitude at that time, uh, that he, he thought he had so many people, and, and the reason he was numbering them, I'm sure, was, for military purposes. You know, let's just see how strong we are. We can whip anybody. And um, yeah, God cannot, hand, God, God cannot stand by and let us go down that road. It's just death. Yeah, but I doubt that that's the only time. Uh, yeah, certainly when I look at my life, I can't say, "Oh, I did that once." <laughs> All right, Psalm 31: Prayer for help against enemies and praise for deliverance. Um, I'm going to skip over this one as well. Nothing particularly unusual. Um, so, we'll move on to Psalm 32. Now, this is a little bit different. Um, this is what's called a penitential psalm. What do we mean by a penitential psalm? Repent for sin. Yeah, yeah. Repenting for sin. And um, we, we had our first penitential psalm last week. That was Psalm 6. This is the second one. Does anyone know how many there are total? Please pray. Yeah, because we've got three, and you know we've got we got another one in this lesson here. Another seven total. Uh, we're gonna get we're gonna do numbers two and three in um, in this lesson. So just looking at some of the verses here. Um, well, verse one: How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now that again reminds us of Psalm 1. Didn't Psalm 1 talk about how blessed is the person who who does what's right? But here, David did not do what's right. But he can still be blessed when God forgives his sin. Um, Now, what does he mean at the end of verse 2? In whose spirit there is no deceit he didn't, uh, didn't mention his sin. He was quiet about it. And yeah. that was deceived. Yeah. We, we do something wrong. We do a sin. We know we've done wrong. We go to God in prayer. We talk about everything except what? What we just did wrong. Yeah. Don't want to talk about that. Um, that's deceit. And of course, God isn't really being deceived when <laughs> we do that. We're just deceiving ourselves, thinking that, that that's a way to relate to God. Um, we've got to be honest with God. That's the only way that we can be blessed. It's the only way we can have our sin covered, is to be honest with Him. I mean, I understand that, you know, sometimes we get up in, in front and in our assembly we say, Lord, forgive us of our sins. And probably people do that at home. Lord, please forgive me of my sins. But I will tell you, If you've got a particular sin you know about, and the only thing you say is, Lord, forgive me of my sins, that does not cut it. That's deceit. We've got to deal with that specific sin with God. Now, I'm not saying don't pray God forgive us of our sins, because I'm confident there are plenty of sins we don't even know about. And we need God's forgiveness for those too. Maybe God will show them to us later. And if He does, we better be honest and, and talk about it directly. Maybe He won't. and In which case, I, I trust that He really will forgive us of our sins. But when we know about one, we've got to be honest and deal directly with God. Just as if you sin against your brother, you've got to be honest and tell him you're sorry too. Um, my, my grandmother told about when... Um, during World War II, of course, it was very hard to buy almost anything. And um, they noticed that they'd, they'd hang their clothes out on the line and then they'd take them in and there'd be some missing. Um, and then a short time after that, their neighbor would come over and bring them some food or something she cooked. And then later on, there'd be something else missing and the neighbor would come over and bring some food that she cooked. They knew what was going on, but it's too bad the lady couldn't be honest and you know confess what she had done. Let's not be that way. Um, So in in verse 3, he says, When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. David really felt that God was angry with him, which God was. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my, my um, transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. He, it was only when he quit hiding it that he got the blessed forgiveness. And so in verse 6, therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they will not reach him. This is a great psalm. One of the great penitential psalms. David really understands the principle of how we can have fellowship with God. And it's not on the basis of pretending that we don't have any sins. Um, Paul quotes the first part of this psalm in I believe it's Romans 4 when he's talking about being saved by faith. He quotes this to show that David was saved by faith, not by works. His works... We're all messed up. He he had sinned. That's the very opposite of the works God would have. All he could do was lean upon God for forgiveness. But the fact that he had to be honest shows that we're not talking about cheap forgiveness. I mean, this matter of being saved by faith doesn't mean everyone just you know says some words is going to be saved. There has to be an attitude of faith, and David showed that attitude of faith. By being honest with God and confessing his sin. All right. Um, chapter thirty, Psalm thirty-three. Praise to the Lord, the Creator and Deliverer. the um, The first part of this psalm uh, goes through how, how all the great acts of creation that God did, um, and then the second part talks about how this is the God that we serve and we trust in, and so. In verse 18, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those who hope for His loving kindness. The same God that created the stars and the planets and the earth and everything we see is the God whose eye is on those who fear Him. And then in verse 21, For our heart rejoices in Him because we trust in His holy name. Let Your loving kindness, the Lord be upon us according as we have hoped in You. Psalm 34, praise for deliverance. And we've had, the, we've had this kind of psalm before, but I wanted to notice one thing that I thought was very interesting about this particular praise, and that's verse 8. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good! How blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him! This is a very personal psalm. This is not the psalm of, of the whole nation praising God for something. It, it's, it's one man, David, Praising God for a very personal rescue. And he wants others to experience the same thing. Taste, I mean, isn't that isn't that a great way to put it? Taste the Lord. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. God wants us, each one of us, to have a relationship with him that tastes and sees that he is good. Not just something where we read about God in the Bible and we're impressed with what he's done for others but where we see what he's done for us we've seen God is good to me that's what what David says taste and see the Lord is good chapter 35 Psalm 35 prayer for rescue from treacherous enemies it is so sad when when you read about people behaving like like they did to David in this psalm, um, he's he's sick. He's, he, he's you know he's close to death, and there are people who whose attitude is, I can't wait till he dies. <laughs> Just terrible. That Jesus. Well, yes, that's right. Yeah, and of course, David was was a foreshadowing of Jesus, certainly. But look in verse 13. He's talking about these enemies of his. But he says, but as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled myself with... my soul was fasting and my prayer kept returning to my bosom. I went about as though it were my friend or brother. I bowed down mourning as one who sorrows for a mother. Wow! I mean, here are these people and when they were sick, he begged God to rescue them. And verse 15, but at my stumbling, they rejoiced and gathered themselves together. The smiters whom I did not know gathered together against me. They slandered me without ceasing. Like godless jesters at a feast, they gnashed at me with their teeth. Now, you just had to feel bad for, for David in this when to go through something like that. The very people that, that he had asked God to help turn on him, and, and that's the kind of thanks he gets for, for that kind of, of behavior. But he turns to God and asks God to... To rescue him, not let these people rejoice over his downfall. David had, you know, he went, David went through a lot. Now we we know that from the books of Samuel and a little bit in Chronicles. We know David went through an awful lot. But we get the personal side of it in the book of Psalms. Um, we really find out what it felt like to be David. And um, all of these things that that would have crushed a, a, a lesser person just caused David to rely upon God that much more. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That situation, I think, happens a lot, even in, in You know, people that are, are leaders uh, help them go out of the way for a lot of people. And they accept that help willingly, really? but then you when know, a leader or you know, somebody in authority gets sick, like, help, Bill, can't wait for you. Isn't that the truth? Yeah. 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 Isn't that the truth? (laughs) Oh, my. All right. 36. Contrast between the wickedness of people and the loving kindness of the Lord. Um, Verse 1. Transgression speaks to the ungodly within his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. Verse 5. Your loving kindness, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. (laughs) What a contrast, huh? (laughs) Wickedness of people, the loving kindness of God. Verse 7, How precious is Your loving kindness, O God! And the children of men take refuge in the shadow of Your wings. They drink their fill of the abundance of Your house, and You give them to drink of the river of Your delights. What a way to put it. drink of the river of Your delights. (laughs) So... um, 37, do not fret over the seeming prosperity of the wicked. This is a theme that I don't think we've had before in the Psalms, but we will have it again. Um, do not fret because of evildoers. And he says do not fret quite a bit in, in this Psalm over and over, do not fret. Because uh, I mean, it looks like they're having such a good time. Oh my, wow, just, life is great for them. He says in verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Um, Verse 10, Yet a little while and the wicked will be no more, and you will look carefully for his place, and he will not be there. It looks good for them now. You've got to look to how they're going to end. The whole story hasn't been told yet. Verse 16, Better is the little of the righteous than the abundance of many wicked. We may not have as much riches as the wicked, but David says what we do have is much better than what they have. Much better. They've got all this abundance, but it's not going to help them. Verse 25, I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. The righteous may not be the richest people on earth, but they're not the poorest. They have enough to eat. God takes care of them. And... um, I think we've all seen this in our own lives. We may be down and out, but God still provides everything we need. 38. This is the third penitential psalm. Another psalm of repentance. Um, O Lord, rebuke me not in Your wrath and chasten me not in Your anger. And he goes on like this. Jump to verse 4 for my iniquities are gone over my head as a heavy burden they weigh too much for me. Verse 7, for my loins are filled with burning... No, I'm sorry, I didn't I jump. No, verse 12. Those who seek my life lay snares for me and those who seek to injure me have threatened destruction and they devise treachery all day long. Now, this is just very sad when you think about it. Here David has committed some sin. We don't know which, which sin. Maybe the one with Bathsheba, but we don't know. And... He just feels terrible. God is angry with him and and, um, his arrows in verse 2 have sunk deep into him and and his iniquity is over his head. Meanwhile, the enemies are beating up on him. They're taking advantage of this chance, um, but not for the right reason. I mean, And he's going to explain that in verse 16. For I said, may they not rejoice over me who when my foot slips would magnify themselves against me and in verse 20, And those who repay evil for good, they oppose Me because I follow what is good. They're not beating up on Him because He sinned. They're beating up on Him because normally He is righteous. And they don't like that. And so they take advantage. Now, And of course, all of us are well aware that all around us are people that are watching for us to make the slightest mistake and they'll just be delighted. I just knew it. He's nothing but a hypocrite like all the rest of those Christians. And the reason they, they delight in it is because your life is a rebuke to them. Your life is saying they don't have to live sinful sinful lives. And they don't like to see that. And, and yeah, they, they're, they're very happy to have some excuse. And David David knew that. He knew they, they, they were not beating up on him because of his sin. They were beating up on him because of his righteousness and he wanted God to forgive him and rescue him from these people. Psalm 39 is a meditation on the brevity of life. Just how brief it is. Verse 4 Lord, make me to know my end and what is the extent of my days. Let me know how transient I am. And verse 7. And now, Lord, what do I wait? For for what do I wait? My hope is in you. And in verse 10, remove your plague from me because of the opposition of your hand I am perishing. With reproofs you chasten a man for iniquity. You consume as a moth what is precious to him. Surely every man is a mere breath. Um, Now, it's interesting. What's being said here is related to what we had in the previous psalm. Psalm 38, where where David talks about God was being angry with him. But in this particular case, he's trying to meditate more on the fact that life is so brief. And... um, He wants God to hear his prayer while there's yet time, and it's a good thought for us to keep in mind too. Life is brief. It's not you know a lot of people think they they can just do as they please all the way out to the end. Ken Enfinger told me he called me up recently and told about a lady that has cancer, but she's not. He wanted to talk to her about the gospel. She wasn't ready to hear. She said, "Her dad." got baptized just before he died, and she thought that was a good idea. <laughs> Needs to read this psalm. <laughs> Life can be a lot briefer than what you think. Alright, Psalm 40, another song, another praise for deliverance. Um, but it's interesting in, in that some of these verses are quoted in the book of Hebrews. Go to verse 6. Sacrifice and meal offering you have not desired. My ears you have opened. "'Bird offering and sin offering, you have not required. Then I said, "Behold, I come." In the scroll of the book, it is written of me: "I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart." Now, when the Hebrew writer quotes that, who does he apply it to? Jesus. he applies it to Jesus. That's right. Um, I would not classify this as a messianic psalm, but that doesn't mean it doesn't apply to Jesus. Um, What David says God desires about him is what God desires about everybody. Rather than sacrifice and offering, God wants someone who willingly does His will. That's what God wants of of, of every one of us. But who has ever done that? Only one. Jesus. He's the only one that has truly fulfilled what God wants of, of all people. And... When we are in Jesus, then we can do this too, and and we can fulfill this. But this this applies to Jesus because he is the ideal man. He fulfilled what God created man for. All right, 41. Prayer for help in sickness against enemies and false friends. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? How blessed is he who considers the helpless. The Lord will deliver him in a day of trouble. Now that's a very unusual start for a psalm that's going to be prayer for deliverance because this sounds a lot like Psalm 1. I mean, the one who considers the helpless is a righteous person. You you consider the poor people, you help the poor, I mean, that's exactly what he's talking about here. And the Lord will deliver him in a day of trouble. But now, jump down to verse 4. As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me, heal my soul, for I have sinned against you. What's this about? I mean, First of all, he talks about how God's going to take care of the person who considers the helpless. Then he says, but I've sinned. Is David maybe saying I should have considered the helpless and I didn't? I think that may be exactly what he's saying. Um, and so he's, he's repenting. He's sorry for what he's done. And then he starts discussing these enemies. And in verse 9, look at this one. Even my close friend in whom I trusted who ate my bread has lifted up his heel against me. Where have you heard that? No? Sorry. About Judas. In the book of John, Jesus this is John 13, verse 18. At the Last Supper, Jesus quoted this when He was predicting that Judas was going to betray Him. And here's the context. You see... This, again, this is not a messianic psalm. I mean, how could it be when when he says, um, my, "I have sinned against you" in verse four? I mean, that doesn't apply to Jesus. But Jesus was going through the same experience that David did, just as David had close friends who betrayed him, and 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 the close friend that betrayed him may well have been Ahithophel, the counselor that that took Absalom's side against him. But we don't know. I mean, there may have been others. I wouldn't doubt that, but. This very close friend betrayed him and David felt so terrible. So Jesus is going through the exact same experience. One of the inner circle, one of the twelve, is betraying Him. Yeah, John? Uh, felt committed suicide. Judah also That's right. Ahithophel uh, hanged himself and so Judas did. He hanged himself. Yeah, very clear that God intended those two stories to be parallel. <coughs> Now, Psalm 41 ends with amen and amen. What's that about? End of the book. Yes, that's not part of Psalm 41, in fact. It's the end of book 1. Um, here we have five, there's five books in the book of Psalms. We just finished the first one. Chapters 1-41. One and we're getting into book 2, 42-72. And we talked earlier about what these different books are about. The first one celebrates Israel's king as God's agent. And many of these psalms were written by David. Now David writes some of the ones later on, but you'll never find another book that has as many psalms of David all together as you find in book 1. It, clearly, book 1 was the earliest one to be composed. And, and it, it, could have been, it could have been put together shortly after David's death. I don't see anything in, the, in, in that first book that would have to apply to anything outside of that time period of history. Book 2, on the other hand, it ends with the prayers of David are ended, but it, it has far fewer psalms by David and many more by other people. And a lot of the events that are discussed in these, late, in these in Book 2 are events that I don't think could have happened until after David's death. Uh, one of the psalms we have in... in today's lesson, which I'm not going to get to because I'm out of time, but one of the Psalms talks about <clears throat> um, being in exile. The enemy had carried them off into exile. Well, that couldn't have happened in the days of David. Um, that, that obviously was some, sometime later, but I don't know, I, I can't tell you when. Um, <clears throat> the, the, the entire series of five books and it starts with Israel's king as God's agent and ends up with God as Israel's true king in book five. But we've got a ways to go before we get to that. <coughs> um, I want to ask you right now, when you started reading 42, you were supposed to read 42 through 48, did you notice anything different about those psalms from the ones you have been reading earlier? Uh, yes. Oh, What would you notice? Um, there, were, there were like a, uh, They were touching or not so crazy by ones. So. Okay. All right. Ralph, did you have another thought? I just I had a little bit of trouble just shifting from um, David writing those songs. And so I, each time I read one of the ones after forty two I'm like, okay, one of the books. And who who was what was the answer a lot of times? I didn't did figure it out. Well, chapter Chapter forty two, who wrote that? The sons, the sons of Korah, yeah. You remember back in the book of Numbers, Korah days and Abiram rebelled against Moses and they died? Well their descendants, the descendants of Korah are called the sons of Korah. And um, they obviously are not in, in whenever they wrote this, they weren't behaving like their their ancestors did. They were being faithful to God. We don't know when this was because the sons of Korah lived, you know, for centuries, all you know, it's just it's a big family. Uh, but apparently there was a time period when they, they were a very, a very musical, poetic-type family and they, they produced some, some really, really great psalms. Uh, there are 11 psalms in total in the whole, whole book. Uh, 100, out of 150, 11 of them are by the sons of Korah. And over half of them are in book 2. None of them, none of them earlier than this. Samuel yeah, was the, of, the of Korah. Uh, not Sam's. Yes, yeah, Samuel. Well, I know he. I know Samuel was a Levi, but I didn't remember he was descended from Korah. What? I, do, I looked it up. In the right. you may be right. Yeah, I. I, I couldn't tell you. Yeah. Now you may be right. I, we'd have, it, it would be in Chronicles if if it's anywhere. All right, we'll uh, we'll start with Psalm forty-two next time. I Appreciate everyone's help this week. <laughs> Go ahead, colors, tomorrow, oh, okay, yeah, I don't blame you. That does sound a lot of life. Kelly. for i I yeah. do so, you, you want... I I don't think Yeah. Поехали.